Hi, everybody, and welcome to Mecha Dragon, a podcast about all the geeky and nerdy stuff you love. Brought to you by Captain Geek and the Dark Nerd. I'm your captain, Will. And I'm your nerd, Jess. Today, we are talking about The Mandalorian Season 2, Episode 5, titled Chapter 13, The, the Jedi. Jedi. Yeah, and for this really monumental episode, a uh, discussion about this monumental episode, we have joining us once again, Mike Gagney from the Boston Harbor Horror Podcast. It's great to have you back, Mike. Welcome. Thanks, man. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, so, of course, we just finished our little sync commentary uh, of this episode, which is really fun to have you there. And uh, I found it interesting that that was Jess's first uh, mm -hmm. viewing mm -hmm. of the episode. So you got some fun reactions there, I'll just say. <laughs> but uh, now it's time to to go deep on this episode. We're going deep into that Jedi. We're, whoa, well, whoa, that's whoa, whoa, phrasing, whoa. phrasing. phrasing. Um, are we still doing phrasing? Is that still a thing? <laughs> For this guy, it is. Lana. But uh, <laughs> danger zone. Okay, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Archer fans, I can see. Excellent. Uh, so, uh, yeah, but so back to <clears throat> The Mandalorian. So so let's get into this, guys. So this episode, I think the fandom has been waiting for, for like this whole season because there have been all these rumors that Ahsoka Tana was going to show up. And she's practically the first thing that we see in this episode. I actually kind of like how they didn't waste any time sort of leading up to it and like, Oh, is it a you know, mysterious figure in the corner and like, you know, all this stuff. No, she was literally introduced in pretty much the first scene, first, right? Yeah. yeah the first, first minute. Yeah. Mm -hmm, the first scene. Absolutely. Uh, and so, uh, first of all, though, I have to acknowledge something. So my co-host and I just made this bet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that I have that I have lost, uh, and, and the <laughs> and the bet was so soon. Yeah, I think we said a couple episodes ago originally that I thought well, because you know they described it as the forest planet of Corvus, right? Uh, and that's where Ahsoka Tana would be. And I said, oh well, I think there's a decent chance that maybe she's helping the Ewoks uh, resettle somewhere so they don't become extinct by all the debris from the death star <laughs> raining mm, down on right, them right, right. basically and i was like okay that's something ahsoka, ahsoka might be doing right and i thought okay I, I said okay let's make a bet and i bet you know maybe we'll see like an ewok or something uh in the episode where ahsoka shows up and i, I didn't see any ewoks you brought that up and you were like well uh i was like well maybe we'll see some wicked action you know wicked will come back and still be awesome so the the conditions were if I lose the bet, which I did, um, uh, <clears throat> God, what was I even saying? Um, you lost oh, so, the bet. That's what you yeah. were saying. You lost. <laughs> I did, and that means that we now have to do a Mecha Dragon episode <laughs> on the Star Wars Christmas special. Oh, so, damn! Uh, and you, <laughs> and you I, do mean the one from the seventies, right? Uh, Not the new Lego holiday. Oh, I sure we can do both, but yeah, that's the uh, Lego Holiday one because we've had um, some episodes we've done in the past over movies or shows that one, two, or even three of us or four of us, including the guests, haven't always liked. 
And you made a comment once that those are some of the most fun episodes to record where there's stuff that people don't like about it rather than all four of us saying, I, I like it. I think it's the difference of opinion, you know, and the variety and points of view that could make it real interesting. Yeah. Right. I think this will be just a hilarious. uh, So I will now have to lose that hour of my life. Yeah. uh, Oh, isn't that like an hour and a half? (laughs) Oh, something like that. But uh, we might even have to do a watch through. That could be the dumbest thing I just thought of. (laughs) (laughs) Two things. Number one. I am proud to say I have never once watched oh. the Star Wars holiday special. <laughs> like not even not even 60 full seconds. Negative. Nothing. You a, not a oh, first oh, little oh, pat oh, on filled. the back for that. I yeah. number I two. Have, number two. I, okay. I think if you guys do this, it should be a live listen just like you do. <laughs> pretty much it yeah. would be like the oh, Mecha man. Dragon MST3K tribute episode. Because it's Ooh, it'll yeah. be like three of you two or three people or more sitting there and just roasting a terrible movie oh mike for 90 minutes just that's one way to invite yourself uh, (laughs) especially since you've never seen it i'm gonna be on duty yeah it's like you know the new guy to the to the gang has to do the thing you know I, I love how Mike answered with the equi- with the Coast Guard equivalent of "I'm going to be washing my hair that night, so I can't go on a date with you." Yeah. <laughs> so no, I think that's a fantastic idea, and I think that would go over a lot better if we do it like as a live. I like uh, that idea. Watch idea. So thanks to Mike for elevating us once again, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) even though he will not be joining us for that particular, I'm going to call it a slog, Um, but it'll probably be an entertaining slog if we're going to make it our MST 3K tribute. I love that uh, as a descriptor of it. Honestly, I would join you guys for that if you want to be there. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, the more the merrier. I see. Well, because I was thinking... You know, we talked a lot about Star Wars this year and with the Mandalorian, that's like one of the biggest Star Wars thing going on. We don't have a Star Wars movie coming out this year and it's a Star Wars Christmas movie and we're doing a nerdy, geeky Christmas movie. Uh, Well, I guess it's not about Christmas, but it's a holiday special. So, but what better way? What nerdier, geekier thing is there really? I mean, that's a hard... I'm not going to go there, but, <laughs> but that'll be, that'll be something that I think it'll be fun if we're doing a commentary of it actually. Yeah. So that'll, that'll be good. Okay. Excellent. So right, now we just I need will, one more. I will <laughs> sacrifice 90 minutes of my brain cells to watching that. For no, that it'll be 90 minutes of your life. It'll be a lot more brain cells. <laughs> uh, hey foot how's that bullet feel yeah it's like if you do nitrous i mean just brain cells are popping 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 <laughs> i might speaking of brain cells i might need to have a drink or something while mm. watching yeah some might. nog some holiday nog yeah sure with bourbon oh with a let's do uh some blue nog some blue nog like yeah. the uh blue like milk. the uh blue milk except not the blue milk that luke loves to drink uh-huh. apparently yeah uh, to be fair i don't know if he loves it uh from the expression on his face when he drank it but anyway it, back it, to the mandalorian yeah looked, <laughs> by the expression on his face it did look like it had a little alcohol in it he's like ooh, ah, ah. 
Potentially. You never know what those things are, are generating in those teats. Anyway, The Mandalorian. You sure don't. <laughs> the Mandalorian. <laughs> so, guys, Ahsoka Tano made her big live action appearance uh, for the first time in this episode of The Mandalorian. And I got to say, played by Randy Quaid. <laughs> uh, Rosario Dawson. Oh, I was those two mixed up. I I really think that uh, she was perfectly cast for this. Oh, she yeah. really she really brought the right energy to it. Uh, she, I mean, she was not the center of the episode. And, you know, I think there was a lot of people who were afraid that, oh, Dave Filoni wrote and directed this. It's going to turn into the Ahsoka show. And she was very prominent. But, you know, I don't think it was beyond the scope of like a supporting role in this show, you know. And uh, I was it was more I mean, her character like they do with a lot of the episodes is more like a almost like a cameo where they show up for an episode. And then the next episode is obviously leading Mando and the baby who has been named spoiler alert. Uh, Yes. Yes. We'll get into that. We'll get into that. But yeah, they're just going off to another planet. So we're not even sure if we're going to see Ahsoka for the rest of the show. Since we're now, uh, there's only three episodes left. We're over halfway through the season. You know, I would not be surprised if we see her again at the end of the season in like another team up episode, Mm -hmm. you know, seven samurai style, like something like that, where they have to confront like Moff Gideon to get the dark saber back or something like that. I would not be surprised. Or hmm? it's when we first see Grand Admiral Thrawn. Yeah. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Because she also mentioned Thrawn, which is another huge, huge thing that the show just did. Because I don't even know that I guess Thrawn was technically canon because he was in Star Wars Rebels. Yes. But uh, wow. I mean, that's going to be big. So we'll we'll talk about Thrawn, too, uh, in a little bit. But first, Mike, I want to get your impressions of, you know, a Ahsoka Tano in this episode, B Rosario Dawson as Ahsoka Tano. And l- yeah, let's just go with that. What's your take on this? So I first heard her name in the show. Uh, in the episode with the other Mandalorians. And I got super excited. Like I'm watching it with my two best friends and my wife. And they're just like looking at me laughing at my reactions to this because they know how <laughs> big into it I am. Mm-hmm. So I, w- I obviously knew she was coming. I was really excited because I loved her character in Rebel, in not Rebels, uh, in Clone Wars. And I couldn't wait to see what kind of character that she had become in the what yeah. 30 years since yeah. the clone wars happened, you know, is she going to be like this, like compute, com- compute, uh, bleh, compute, um, CGI. No, 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 not even CGI. Just like completely like darkened and cynical and jaded character. Oh, I got- you know, mm. You know, because, you know, she split off from the Jedi Order and, you know, she's been kind of doing like the 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 wandering Ronin type lifestyle since then. Yeah. And, you know, because obviously there, there's they didn't do any kind of retconning her into any of the films or anything like that. So she was, you mm-hmm. know, virtually unknown in any of the core films that have come out. No name, no mention by name right. or anything like that. So seeing her come out as the way that she did, like I was super excited about. And With I a think, bang. yeah. And like no holds barred. You can definitely like, if you've watched the series, you kind of pick up like, okay, you know, she's definitely got this no hold 
bar approach that you know that was definitely taught to her by Anakin and kind of yes. like fly by the seat of your pants kind of planning or lack thereof uh, that you see in most of it where there was like there wasn't like an elaborate battle plan set up. They just said, okay, mm-hmm. we're going to team up. And then they just walk off and then it's cut to new scene. <laughs> it wasn't like, okay, well, you're going to go here and you're going to do this and you're going to take care of this one. It was just yeah. boom. And then so you didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah. Whereas I think that if this episode had somehow been with a character like, say, Obi-Wan Kenobi instead of um, – of course, Obi-Wan is, you know, dead at this point in the timeline. But I mean, if you had had a character like that instead of Ahsoka, I think mm-hmm. it would have been a much more sort of a measured, like, we have to plan this out. Remember, Mando, don't kill anybody. You know, like a lot <laughs> of stuff like that. <laughs> Whereas you're right. I mean, she she really did pick up sort of her fly by the seat of your pants sort of <laughs> planning, if you want to call it that, yeah. uh, method from Anakin and kind of how he conducted himself uh, when he was her mentor. So uh, that that was cool. I mean, I really I I, I feel like they tr- they tread this line uh, and balanced very carefully the uh, presenting the character to people who had both like the people who had seen the show with her in it and the people who had not seen the show. Like, I don't feel like you're missing like you're you're a pace behind or you're you're confused or anything like that. If you hadn't seen, you know, the animated show where she was, you know, featured prominently. And Jess, as somebody who has not seen any, like really uh, almost none of the animated show stuff, like how did she come across to you? And what were your impressions of her? I thought uh, her entrance was really well done. I mean, basically starts off the episode with the Sokotano you know, as the first thing that catches you and she's kicking ass right off the bat. And as we've told everyone a million times to shame me, I have not watched the Clone (laughs) Wars or Rebels, any of the animated uh, Star Wars shows as of yet, but I have seen Ahsoka Tano for the past 20 years, you know, she's part of the Star Wars fandom and she's been around forever. And I'm actually, there's a, I got the web Google images up on my computer right now, just looking at her and she's a cool looking character and, you know, she's a dual wielding, uh, Jedi or you said she might not be a total Jedi. I'm not really sure. She's not. I mean, she's not, I don't want to like get too deep into it if you haven't seen, but she's no, she was trained as a Jedi. She was once a Jedi when she was, uh, learning under Anakin Skywalker, she was his Padawan. Right in between, in between Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith, mm-hmm. but a certain series of events, let's just say, uh, ends with her leaving the Jedi Order mm. for reasons. <laughs> let's just say, and that whole um, situation uh, also has a lot to do with uh, Anakin's character arc between those two movies and why ultimately he. A kind of why he like it plays into him turning into the dark side and turning against the uh, Republic. Interesting. So she's very intertwined in his personal story. Yeah. And, you know, when she has that scene with with Mando uh, Din Djarin, where she basically is saying, wait, no, I cannot train him because even fully grown Jedi Knights, you know, with full training, I have seen, you know, 
the uh, the way that they have stumbled and fallen and misused their powers when they've succumbed to to fear. Right. And so she is talking specifically about Anakin because she saw what he became in Darth yeah. Vader and faced him as well. And and yeah, and faced him as well as Darth Vader and really got to see both sides of Anakin. Yeah. You know, and that's- she would have been for a long time uh, the first person to defend Anakin, you know, because even in the movies, you know, he's shown as being kind of impulsive and, you know, and 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 this, that and the other. And she was always there to defend him because she saw the good in him. But she also saw what happened. So that's, yeah. I think, part of like that whole history of hers which you don't need to know for this episode, but that's why mm-hmm. she looks very sort of torn in a lot of those scenes where he's asking her to take care of. Uh, the and movie. that's the thing too, because since I don't have, you know, a familiarity with all of that history behind Ahsoka, I do know how important she is to, you know, the, the Jedi canon and the whole star Wars universe. So I was very excited to see her, and looking at the images online of her different uh, appearances throughout the years, the way they portrayed her is spot on. And mm-hmm. Rosario Dawson, aside from being one of the hottest uh, human, uh, that's it, hottest humans ever, um, <laughs> she, she was cast perfectly in the part, and she's a badass. And when she shows up in the beginning, she's jumped around wielding her blades. Um, her lightsabers in that uh, misty. Scene. How badass like, was that scene where she just like melts into the mist? Yeah. Yes. You know, and, and suddenly the sword and then gone, you know, it was really cool. Um, so I was excited to see her. And now that I have seen her, I'm actually more excited to learn more about her, which means you'll probably get your wish of me watching <laughs> Clone Wars and, and all Rebels. that and Rebels yeah. and all that. And I really do think that the um, the the Clone Wars show picks up steam as it goes along, as I think I mentioned in the commentary. Like, mm-hmm. not only does the animation improve with every season, mm-hmm. uh, but the and they have some really amazing lightsaber battles in that show. By oh, the way, oh god, yeah, yeah, you know, like really, like seriously good stuff. Um, and also, I really think that the storytelling gets better and better and better as it goes on. And we're also talking about a show that deals with a very dark period of time in star Wars lore. Like this is not, you know, immediately post return of the Jedi where, you know, the Jedi and the light side of the force are on the rise again. No, this is like leading into the tragedy that is revenge of the Sith. And so you get sort of those notes of darkness in the show. And that's actually kind of a big difference between uh, the clone wars and star Wars rebels. Cause star Wars rebels, if I'm not mistaken, was shown on Disney XD, Disney yes. XD channel. And so therefore it had to be like a certain rating so that it was like fine for like seven year olds, basically. Yeah. Whereas the clone wars did not have that uh, limitation. If you want. Yeah, to no, it. it was, that was definitely like, Rating wise, it seemed to be aimed, you know, because, you know, at that time, like cartoons, kids, but a lot of the content was very, it it definitely did a great job of walking that line of where I could watch that with my young children. And I could also enjoy the elements of it with it being having some, I don't, when I say mature content, I don't mean like R rated NC 17 mature content, but Mm -hmm. like real world actual 
parallels. You know what I mean? P- yeah, people struggling with real difficulties, you know, with uh, with realistic sort of interpersonal conflicts and stuff. Is that kind of what you're saying, mm-hmm. Mike? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Okay, well, while you were talking about all that, you used the words um, R-rated and kids. And <laughs> um, the first time I ever saw Rosario Dawson in a movie was in the movie Kids, which is <laughs> oh, uh, God. not for kids. And I don't even think it's R-rated. I think it's NC-17. So She was in that movie? Yeah, that was, I think. I haven't seen that movie. in so long. Wow. Yeah. yeah, we should do a watch through of that one. <laughs> <laughs> I no. don't know about that. No, it's a, the movie is named Kids, but it is not for kids, children. That's interesting. You know, Rosario Dawson has come so far. And I think, man, one of the best things she ever did was to get involved with Marvel, right? Because, you know, that's Disney. Mm-hmm. And now she's on it. She's becoming this iconic figure in so many like major, major fandoms now. Yeah. Which has got to be a majorly good move for her career. Yeah. And I'm there for it because I, I like Rosario. <laughs> well, like, like not only a huge fandom like that, it's like she'll no longer be known as any of the characters she spent the first 30 years of her career <laughs> being. It's like, oh, you're a Sokotano. You've been a Sokotano for uh checking my watch. 30 hours now. Sweet. <laughs> Actually, I mean, that that's a good point because now that she is a Sokotano, like she's she a Soka for Soka-tano. life now. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's gonna be I mean, I think there's this real transformation in the lives of certain, you know, actors that take on these super iconic roles. And mm-hmm. in some cases, you know, like uh, Mark Hamill, he may not have known at the very beginning that that's what it was going to become, you know, but it it, it becomes that. And uh, I don't know. I'm here for it. I think she is a fantastic actor. I think she really brings it in this episode. And it's like Michael Bean. It's like, you know, you're, you're Corporal Hicks. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Michael Bean, too, is in it. But I, I just think that. Um, so, first of all, I did not expect this much like lightsaber play in, in an episode of The Mandalorian. I was right. very pleasantly surprised about that. I don't know why I was so surprised, but I just felt like she would be less of a. I don't know. I, I was a, kind of afraid that she would barely be in the episode type of a thing. Well, that's the thing, too. Like I said earlier, I'm not super familiar with Ahsoka Tano, aside from little bits and pieces I've seen you know, in the sidebars of uh, my life. But every time I do see Ahsoka Tano, it's her running around with two lightsabers being a badass. Yeah. And that's basically, that, her up. <laughs> that they, yeah, they basically summed her up in this uh, episode. It, you know, and the great thing about when you do watch the animated shows, and, because basically in the Clone Wars, you watch her grow up. Like she starts, I think, in the, the 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 Clone Wars movie before, you know, that kind of is the beginning of the show. Yeah, it's like an early teenager. Yeah, she's like 12 or 13 mm-hmm. or something like that. And then I think the show ends with her being closer to like 20 years old, uh, something like that. Uh-huh. And so you really do kind of grow up with her. And the great thing about having all of that backstory Uh, of hers is that you know for me at least i was able to kind of read into uh, a little bit deeper uh like what she was doing in this episode not essential but you kind of like like when you see the wheels turning there you know behind her eyes you're like oh well she's you know here she's thinking about all of this and i think she did such a great job of bringing the ahsoka tano energy i don't Mm -hmm. know she just put herself into that role and i was totally convinced uh, i guess is what i'm saying 
Yeah. And, yeah, they've uh, done they've done great job with the casting through this entire series so far. Yeah. Everyone's really nailing it. Yeah. So Yeah. And the crazy cameos that they've had overall. Like holy crap. Right. And of course they brought in um Katie Sackoff as Bo Katan a couple mm-hmm. episodes back, and she did the voice of Bo Katan in the animated show. Uh, you know. Yeah. But uh, no, I'm yeah, glad the they whole, brought in... the whole Boba Fett thing where they're bringing that actor back. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Tamura. Uh, Tamura Morrison. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. He's g- we're going to see him again. Oh, God. Yeah. That was another thing that I was like, holy shit. Holy shit. Did I just <laughs> yeah. see that? Wow. And that's the thing, too. It's like I mentioned earlier, we're only three episodes left in the season. It's like, oh, my God, there's a lot going on right now. <laughs> Given that, okay, here's here's something that I wanted to bring up because th- there's a lot of info that Ahsoka dropped in this episode. Like, even though it wasn't like her going on and on in these monologues, like everything she said, it was very dense with information. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. And so, first of all, we find out Baby Yoda's actual name, right? Grogu. Right. And that was, it was great when he, when he finally is like Grogu and he looks and Baby Yoda's like, what? <laughs> oh, just I'm going to break the internet right now and search for Grogu. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure it's exploding out there. But I mean, so um, so Mike, can you give me your impressions of like, so first of all, she's, um, I think it was before she tested him, right? When he when she finds out his name, because they have that whole scene where at night with like the moon in the background where she's kind of communing with yeah. Yeah, him through that. the force. Yep. Um, and, you know, before she goes on to explain the all this stuff, like he was raised in the Jedi Temple in Coruscant. That's huge. Like, yeah. I mean, and he's 50 years old. So that makes sense, actually, that he would have been there. And that also makes sense in the sense, like, you know, once Order 66 happened and the Empire was formed and, you know, Anakin basically went in and slaughtered like almost everybody in the Jedi Temple in his, you know, descent into the dark side. Like, obviously, I think that was, you know, provided an opportunity for the newly minted emperor to go in and grab a bunch of stuff from the Jedi temple that he could use for his own nefarious ends. And presumably Grogu was one of those things. And he immediately, you know, was taken. I don't know how immediately they started this like research program with him. You know, but that's obviously something that extended into the the time period that we're in. And so it does raise some more questions, you know, while giving us just a little bit of information. And then she says his name is Grogu. So I want to know, Mike, your impression of, you know, this whole all these reveals about Baby Yoda and, you know, his name and what his history means and kind of what that makes you you think of and kind of how you react to that. Well, I think the one key the the one key question that gets that is put out there into the world is okay, who hid him away? Because he wasn't taken by the emperor. If you it, it, if you listen closely to when she's giving that little bit of history, she says he was hidden away and had to hide his abilities. So the only reason that they've got any of his genetic material was literally from what episode one or two of season one is mm-hmm. when he originally brings him, brings him to the empire and then, you know, goes back on it and goes and rescues them. So now you're so, wondering, okay, hmm. who's, who had the forethought to hide this one particular child 
and keep him hidden for for so long half a century so does that mean now that um based on what you're saying based on what she said uh does mm-hmm. that mean that he was actually hidden away until the mandalorian brought him to the the client well do you I'm think or was a, there kind of a back and forth throughout the, the i think there might have been a back and forth because if there had if to have been a back serves, and forth until the bounty hunters got wind of his importance because it's not like you know, someone was just, it's not like Din Djarin was just like, oh, this kid's, you know, blah, 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 and I've got a bounty for it. I mean, he was already being hunted, you know. Yeah, so because was, like, because Djarin, didn't he, he saved him from a band of outlaws or something, didn't he? Yeah, so, so maybe he was hidden away initially after Order 66. At some point, the Empire gets a hold of him, starts doing experiments. Then he, at some point, gets taken by these outlaws or whoever it was in uh, Kiyol's Valley. Mando comes along, gets him, gives him to the client, then takes him back, and we get, you know, the Mandalorian show. Does that seem like about, like, uh, consistent with what we know so far? Possibly, but that's just it, is that there's there's still a lot of unanswered questions on mm-hmm. where this little guy's been. And she does you know? say that some of his memory is clouded and dark, right? Yeah. There's like a whole period where she can't even, uh, you know, read uh, his mind about what happens. So that does leave a lot of, you know, potential doors for us to open uh, later in the series. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I did say uh, an episode or two ago that I, I would find it really unlikely that you know in this episode with ahsoka that he ends up leaving the mandalorian and like going off of the show i thought that that would be really unlikely maybe he'd run out with uh the uh the ewoks (laughs) right because what would be cuter than baby yoda and some baby ewoks to go oh my god right no cuteness overload i think i would pass out from the cuteness have we seen a baby ewok yet oh my god in the original you guys Return of the, the Jedi. Jedi. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, when 3PO starts levitating. Right. If I could get like a really amazing artist to to do like one of those concept art paintings of Baby Yoda with some baby Ewoks. You I know what I want to see? Break the internet. I want to see a baby hut. A baby Jabba. Do you? A slug. Just, yeah. Just a, <laughs> yeah, it's like a little slug. Just a cute little maggot. You know? A cute little maggot. Those two words in a sentence together, <laughs> I never... Never thought I'd hear it. Cute um, and little. <laughs> uh, Haven't you heard that a lot? Cute and maggot. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> but so the other thing that she tells him, though, at the end is like, take him to uh, a seeing stone on the planet Tython, and then he'll get to decide his own fate. And if there's like a Jedi listening, you know, he may come. A seeing stone on top of a mountain. Yes. Yeah. No less. So this is big because Tython is huge in Jedi lore. And in fact, if you've ever played the video game, the uh, the MMO, uh, Star Wars, The Old Republic, mm-hmm. I think you actually begin on Tython. I think so, because that's oh. where the uh, Jedi temple is. It, so Tython is in the deep core of the Jedi, of the, uh, of the galaxy, sorry. And it's uh, supposedly the birthplace of the Jedi Order. And it's a it's a planet that's very, 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 very strong in the force. It has two moons. It has like a white moon that's called uh, Ashla, which is strong in the light side. And it has a moon uh, like a red or like a brown, like a dark colored moon named Bogan, which is strong with the dark side. And so the original I did some reading up on this and like 
tens of thousands of years ago, like 25, 35,000 years ago, there were these alien craft that are very mysterious called like tho oh god the vogons the thetans <laughs> it's the thetans man the thetans <laughs> ah the tho yor they're these like pyramid or like diamond shaped ships and you can see them in some of the uh, like comics i think uh they basically gathered a bunch of force sensitive people of different races throughout the galaxy and the like then like deposited them on this planet and they became this thing called the jedi order j-e apostrophe d-a-i-i who were more like what you would think of as like gray jedi they were more concerned with like upholding the balance because uh on this planet tython it being so strong with the force and all like if the force became out of balance on the planet then it would have like force quakes and force storms, which were like really intense and could be very dangerous. And so actually what happened apparently is after so many generations of these, you know, people that were brought there, people were started to get born who were not force sensitive or not nearly as force sensitive as like, you know, the, the people who were wielding the force there and things started to get kind of out of whack. And so it ended up the people who are not force sensitive, which, you know, by that time I think was like, majority of the population they actually left tython and it became and it was sort of upheld by these jedi there's a long 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 history of like the force war and like different factions of force users and like the temples that were built there and like all of this stuff but suffice it to say that at some point after the force war there were adherents that believed that you know, no, we should just focus on the light side. And they became the Jedi order. Hmm. Right. And ultimately, you know, the Sith came uh, from here too. Although I don't have the information in front of me about how the, the Sith formed uh, specifically, but that's kind of, so it, so technically this planet has maybe the oldest temples that could you know, be connected to the Jedi order and even older than that. Uh-huh. And uh, there's also like these nine like huge temples on the planet. Uh, and I'm presuming that one of those uh, is near or contains the mountain with the seeing stone uh, that they're going to have to go to. But I just, I mention all of that because that's background for the place they're going to have to go. And given that it is in the deep core and the hyperspace lanes to it were lost a long time ago, it's going to be a big, long journey for Mando to get yeah, how's there. How's he going to get there? Easy. And my prediction is very similar to how last season he got his quest to, you know, deliver the baby to the Jedi. Mm-hmm. Now he's not going to get to this seeing stone until sometime next season. Right. Or at least he's I mean, not it, it would be season. awesome if this show was only two seasons long. I'd really like that. <laughs> Be great heresy <laughs> heresy but um but what so Wait, but what do you baby. here you go have a nice day <laughs> okay <laughs> the end yeah no. <laughs> but mike what do you think about this idea uh of this new or like updated quest quest step <laughs> that he's got um quest updated do well, you I'm already think... have a quest to get my swamp back yeah, i mean right <laughs> i mean especially with uh so much 
uh, unfinished business with Moff Gideon and the fact that there's only three episodes left this season. I mean, do you do you think it's reasonable to say, well, like, no, he's not going to get to this this planet this season? Well, so it, you got to think of like some of the some of the major plot threads that are still that that are still working their way through the season so far. So you've got Moff Gideon with the dark saber who's planted a tracking device on the razor crest. That's right, the tracking device. Uh then you've got um Boca Raton who's Bocatan? Bocatan. I don't know why <laughs> Boca Raton. <laughs> Fucking Ferrero Rocher. Nice I love her. <laughs> <laughs> love her. You know, she's trying to find Gideon and probably has a good idea that Din has had contact with them because he's in the possession of the dark saber you've got the force element with ahsoka tano who now knows about grogu's existence knows where they're headed who's mm-hmm. also you know seeking out someone who is obviously of grave importance even out even if you take out any knowledge of the expanded universe mm-hmm. just the title grand admiral thrawn yeah that carries weight you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, and if you've got one of the few remaining Jedi looking for someone with the title of grand admiral, you know, that that's something that's not, I, I, I highly doubt just from like a storytelling perspective is that you're going to have a couple of these elements come together by the end of this season mm-hmm. and then set up a cliffhanger for whatever the next is. So if do I, you yeah. think we'll see grand admiral Thrawn? I have a I have a feeling that we'll come across him at some point. He'll be like the after credits thing, the post credits scene where it's like. I feel like if we do see him this season, it'll be like something right at the very end as part of a cliffhanger. If we see him at all, if we see him at all. My other big prediction is that there's going to be a major character reveal at the end of the season. So, I mean, granted, this is like if I were writing this story, one of the things that I would do is at the very end of the final episode is I would have Din and Grogu on the mountain, him choosing his path. And then there's going to be like a, some character reveal of a Jedi of a Jedi character, you know, dark mm-hmm. or light that hears that call or whatever and starts making preparations to get underway and, and finds Fine growth. Oh, I or see. Or just a super up, uh, zoomed in shot of a blue face with red eyes opening. So, so you think that by mm. the end of this season, we'll get like a story beat of that, basically. Yes. That's okay. that, that's my prediction. Okay, okay. From a storytelling perspective, see, because I'm so then it makes wondering... you wonder. Okay, who is it? Who is who would that who would that force using character be? So would you're talking be... another Jedi. Yeah, so there is a couple Jedi that it could be uh, that it seems like it seems like it would be weird if they would reintroduce a completely new Jedi character at this point. That would seem a little weird to me when there's like two that I can think. Well, three, technically, I could think of who are actually still alive at this point, or at least, you know, we haven't been shown that they're dead. One, have have you seen Palpatine? Have you you seen (laughs) Have you seen Star Wars Rebels, uh, Mike? I've seen a little bit of it. I've seen okay, like okay. a handful of episodes. I know that Thrawn makes an appearance in it. Um, I know that there's mm-hmm. Ezra and then, uh, what is it, Kieran? Is, uh, is Kanan. The, Kanan. 
uh, mm-hmm. that's kind of uh, trying to train him. He was like a minor Jedi when everything went to hell. Right. Um, right. So you've got those two characters that could still be, that could most definitely be in play. But then here's another thing that I just thought of is you remember Solo, right? Yeah. What happened at the end of Solo? Oh, um, you mean Darth Maul? Darth Maul and his. That was a long time ago, though. Daenerys Targaryen. Oh, you think she might actually be an apprentice of the ways of the Force to him it's, uh, at it's, some point? It's a very, now, very that, hold on, hold on. possible. Daenerys Targaryen, you, know, she you could be... What's going on? What's happening? Okay, okay. Have you seen Solo, Jess? Unfortunately, I don't remember it. Oh, okay. So at the end, it's revealed that Darth Maul, and this is ties into all kinds of other stuff, is basically a crime lord, and that Daenerys, um, Amelia Clark, her character yeah. in Solo, <laughs> becomes, Clark. you know, hit like the new like head of the the Rising Dawn or whatever that group was called, and therefore reports directly to Darth Maul. That was oh. like a big reveal at the end of Solo. I hear what you're saying, but um, I'm gonna, gonna have to. I'm going to have to say no spoilers, but I don't think it's possible that Maul himself, but I am really intrigued by the idea that Amelia Clark's character could have trained in the force under him. Yeah. Cause there's and, enough hints throughout that film that she has that ability because of how, remember how quickly she got Lando Calrissian to agree to her terms. Oh, interesting. Mm. You know, it could even she turn into a thing where he was looking for. Hmm. You know, George Lucas in his plans for the the sequel Star Wars trilogy, which of course uh, was made by like J.J. Abrams and you know uh, Kathleen Kennedy, blah blah blah. Without George Lucas, um, was for the big bad to be Darth Maul. And his apprentice fulfilling kind of the Vader role in the story was going to be a a woman Sith named Darth Talon. So I wonder if if she could be like Darth Talon. Now, that would be interesting. And yeah. I'd love to see Amelia Clark come back as that. Talk about and you could that could be like a huge face off between her and Ahsoka, too. Yeah. At some point. But so I'll say that's a possible. In fact. I'm, I'll even go as far to say as you might have like a Sith and a Jedi here, the whatever happens at the seeing stone. Yeah. Right. So that could set up a big confrontation. But I'm just going to say that I think the, the the two major possibilities for me are either Mace Windu, Samuel L. Jackson. And there's been a lot of talk about uh, the potential for a Mace Windu show or a show that he features prominently in. Or I think it could be Ezra Bridger. Uh, from Star Wars Rebels, hmm. that hears the call or whatever, and and ends up, you know, uh, traveling I would put more trip. money on Ezra than Mace Windu, mm-hmm. just because I think, I mean, it's pretty obvious that Windu bought it at the end of Return of the Sith. I don't know. I mean, I think he could have survived. Of course, this you know, this is a perennial Star Wars argument. Yeah, um, did you see the body? But it's it's also the element of, you know, what else is Sam Jackson working on as well? Right. Granted. Right. Granted. Yeah, he's in, you know, he he actually he obviously has a contract with Disney with the Marvel franchises, but he mostly is a film actor and less of a television actor. So that might that may 
But if I had to guess based on Sam Jackson as an actor and what his priorities are, my guess would be he, he would, would jump at it. it super <laughs> into it. Yeah. He would be super into it because he was a big Star Wars fan. And like, oh, yeah. he was super thrilled to be in the prequels. And I remember uh, watching like the special features and stuff for, you know, on those discs. And he like badgered George Lucas until like he got, he got a purple, a purple lightsaber. lightsaber. Yeah. <laughs> so, and there's like a bunch of lore associated with that too, because that it, it, like there, I read all this stuff about Mace Windu and that his fighting style was one in which uh, the Jedi balanced both the light and dark sides of the force. Mm-hmm. And so that lore actually is what makes me think. Plus it depends on like what's happened to him since, you know, the last 20, 30 years. Right. Yeah. But to, to me, it kind of depends on like what he's been through since then. Like, did he go hide on Tython, you know, throughout the last 30 years and like reevaluate like his priorities as a Jedi? Did he, you know, who knows? But I wouldn't be surprised if it was either him or Ezra Bridger. But I just don't see it as being Luke because actually canonically following Return of the Jedi, I believe this was in some comics, Luke actually does some research on Jedi and some additional training of himself to kind of get himself to the point where he feels comfortable actually training a new generation of Jedi. So he actually goes around looking for some like holocrons and like stuff like that canonically after Return of the Jedi, apparently. So I don't think it would be Luke. And I think that they're going to have a hard time using Luke in this show just because of what the sequel trilogy set up for him. Yeah. You know, so I think that's going to be tough. So I, I doubt that it would be Luke. I don't I it's not going to be Darth Maul, but I that would be so cool. If, if they work in a Skywalker, they're just going too far. I think it's time to move on from all the Skywalker. And, you know, I think yeah, that Ahsoka did not. I think that Ahsoka did not direct him to go find Luke either, because surely she knows about him at this. Even if they've never met. don't tell me yeah. what she knows and don't call me Shirley. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, I, I think that she wouldn't have done that because she she's got to have too many reservations about the Skywalker family. Oh, you know? God. Yeah. And reservations right? are hard in 2020. You know, no one's really <laughs> no one's traveling much. No one's taking them. But I mean, so I mean, there is so much theorizing that you can do about like what's coming based on what happened in this episode. Yeah. You know, I guess the thing I'm taking from the last five minutes of conversation, because <laughs> I am not familiar at all with Ezra Bridges. So he was a character in Star Wars Rebels, which right. takes place like right before A New Hope, essentially. Yeah. And I, I did a search on Google just for his name and I got a couple of I haven't read through them, but just the first couple things that popped up included Ahsoka Tano, Grand Admiral Thrawn, and Ezra Bridges. So, so yeah, so Ezra Bridges. He's Bridger like one of the three that they're talking about. He's kind of in Jedi training throughout most of star Wars rebels. And he has interactions with both Ahsoka and Thrawn. Sorry, Edra Bridger, not Bridges, not Jeff's brother. (laughs) So, but I think, but I mean, that was, if that was 10 years ago, star Wars rebels, 10 years ish ago, then, you know, he's going to be, I mean, he was a young adult. He was a young adult. Darth Bridger. (laughs) But I mean, I think that um, I think that he would be a natural choice uh, as much as 
as Mace Windu would be. But, you know, you might be right, Mike, that it's more likely to be Ezra Bridger because he's a younger character mm-hmm. and it might be a, a situation. Where, but on the other hand, I feel like Mace Windu might be more equipped to train the child, given that he has a lot more experience, especially in, you know, uh, he has a lot more experience and he was really had more of extensive training than Ezra did. I think. Yeah. At least you can assume that. So that's my take on it. But yeah, that was like my new favorite pet fan theory now is that, uh, Amelia Clark is the new, the new Sith under <laughs> Darth Maul. <laughs> that would be amazing. But, uh, so let's talk about, let's talk about Grogu and Mando for a minute. Can I go? Yes. Yes, please. Okay. I don't know exactly because I was on while we were recording this. I got on the Wikipedia and uh, basically every reference to the child or baby Yoda has already been changed to Grogu. So whoever's in charge of all these Star Wars sites is probably losing their mind this week because they've got to change (laughs) all the references to keep up to date. And I don't really know how the meme world is going to react to Grogu. Cause I mean the child or baby Yoda, I feel like people are still going to call him baby Yoda. Yeah. That oh, baby yeah. Yoda is not going anywhere. I don't, I don't really see the memes uh, reacting too fondly to Grogu. It doesn't roll off the tongue. It's more of a back of the throat <laughs> sort of feel. Um, but it I think is it'll still be like hashtag baby Yoda and stuff. Yeah. But I still think that it's great to know the name of the mm-hmm. child. Yeah. Uh, which sure. is baby Yoda. And, and helpful for Mando <laughs> to know. Well, yeah. another thing that I thought of too is it's like, you know, we were talking about earlier how he was kind of hidden away because of his powers. And I know I mentioned uh, episodes and episodes ago that one of the things that would be cool to see in this series would be maybe an introduction to that species and meet their home world. And maybe they, because they have such a intimate re- relation to the force, maybe they're kind of part of where the force comes from. You know what I mean? Mm. If I had to guess, we wouldn't get anything like that until like the end of the whole show. Well, that's what I'm saying. But if that was the end of the show, then they're definitely going to get signed up for, I don't know, seasons 10 through 20. But it's like (laughs) the fact that he was hidden away. Why was this particular child hidden away when we all know who Yoda is, who's one of the masters of the force? But that's pretty much all we know about him. So what if that particular race of creatures does just have an innate ability to control the force. And -hmm. since they're so rare, they saw that little baby Yoda and like, Oh, we got to get this kid out of here because he's not what he looks like. And that's why he was hidden away because he is like a nuclear, you know, bomb. Well, one (laughs) One assumes that, you know, his people sent him to be trained with the Jedi when he was just a little baby 50 years ago and when he's still a baby. There's got to be paperwork. Just because even even amongst his race, it is known to be very, you know, force sensitive in general. Like he was, you know, kind of a maybe a force prodigy. 
I guess, you know, because they're not sending like every member of their race. I mean, who knows? Maybe they're all that powerful, but they only send like every like once in a while they send somebody. We don't know. Yeah, but if um, you're five, two and your brother's six, seven, you're probably not going to get picked for the basketball team. That's my point. I mean, it's like. You know, just because he's of that species and we all know, like I said, Yoda is one of the greats. I wonder if he is wanted just because of his race. Well, to piggyback on that concept, there's only right now three characters that have ever appeared in Star Wars from that race. And they right, all Yoda, been... Yaddle and Baby. Yeah. And think about it. Two of them were on the Jedi Council. Right. Yeah. So I think what Will's saying is like 100% spot on, and it just could be that that race is so obscenely rare and or reclusive, that's why you don't see him anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think so. And, you know, in terms of why he was hidden away, I mean, it's just Order 66, and he's a little baby that's, you know, that cannot be allowed to either be killed or... Uh, come in, you know, come under the influence of of the emperor, essentially. Mm-hmm. So I think I think that's that's what it is. I think at the end of the show, the Razor Crest is going to land on this unknown planet that no one's ever heard of because it's been hidden because it can't be seen by any uh, technology or anything because of the Jedi force of the people on the planet. They can hide it and it's going to be the land on it'll be like the Jetsons. It's going to be like, they just use a force for everything. They'll be like teleporting themselves to work and, you know, I wake up in bed, yawn, stretch, and breakfast just floats across the room into your mouth. It's, It's a, you know, perfect utopia. And just because of they have ultra control of the force because of their race, maybe the, the core of their planet, um, spews force volcanoes. <laughs> well, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. But one of the things I think that this episode really underscored was the uh, relationship between oh, Orlando yeah. and and Grogu or Din Djarin and Grogu, mm-hmm. I should say, because, you know, it really starts with, I mean, after the little it's Mando uh, and the baby. <laughs> yeah. I mean, after the teaser we get with Ahsoka. It's on to Mando and the baby, and it's like it wants the ball, but he's like, no, go get in your seat, buckle up. And Baby Yoda does it. Like he's listening to him now. Yeah. You know, that I mean, that was very, very much a father-son interaction, you know, father-toddler-son yeah. interaction. I mean, like, I've had that moment with my son, you know what I mean? So, and of course, you know, he obviously wants that ball so bad. And so we it also reminds us that he has these amazing force powers. But then that whole scene where she's testing him with the rock, floating the rock. Right. And that that's, I didn't realize it till later. It's like, because that scene with the ball was pretty early on in the episode before they met. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Ahsoka Tano is trying to have Grogu use the force on the rock and he's totally not interested. She like floats mm-hmm. it to him. She's like, now float it back. And he's like, I don't even know who you are, lady. And whatever. Drop it. <laughs> but then she's like, well, he's not going to listen to me. Maybe he'll listen to you. And then, mm-hmm. you know, Dinjarin pulls out that little ball from his shifter. Well, remember, though, first, remember, though, first he tries to do it with the rock and he's and he's like, no, nah, he doesn't even understand what we're asking. And she's like, he he understands, you know, he just has no connection to that. Again, rock. very toddler. Like, well, she rock. goes, remember what she told Mando. She goes, try and connect with him. Reach out. 
Mm-hmm. And there's this like little musical like cue that's kind of like mysterious and force-ish. And so one of, the, Zelda thing, one of the <laughs> right. Zelda one of <laughs> one of the I don't know if crazier <laughs> is the right word, but one of the more extreme uh, fan theories that I've seen online, and I find this to be very interesting for the future of the entire show, is that like what if in addition to just the emotional connection they have they actually have a force connection insofar as like what if mando's actually force sensitive but it's just been repressed because of the fact that he's mandalorian and go- gone through all of this sort of martial like sort of very concrete real world training like that could portend like stuff with the dark saber like what if he you know, ends up getting found by whichever Jedi or whatever comes searching for them after the seeing stone. Because if you think about it, Ahsoka could be thinking to herself, well, it's not just the kid that, you know, we need to worry about here. They obviously have this connection. And yes, we need to make sure that, you know, the child is free from its attachment. So it doesn't give in to fear and all this stuff. But like, what if she's also thinking, uh, this Mandalorian guy also needs some guidance in the force, and I'm definitely not the person to mm, do that. Like, very could interesting. could like Din Djarin go more towards the path of becoming the Mandalore Sweet. with the dark saber and some force abilities, like the original Mandalorian who became a Jedi, forged the dark saber, and became the ruler of Mandalore? Like, that's that's huge. Like, what what's your reaction to that, Mike? And then Jess. I mean, that would make for fa- some fantastic storytelling, especially, you know, along along the lines of the way Star Wars works using because, mm-hmm. um, again, you know, you we're getting we're going to start delving into a little bit of American philosophy here, but it, it's starting to follow that same formula of the um, the hero's journey by Joseph yeah. Campbell, which Lucas drew upon heavily when he wrote the original Star uh Star Wars mm-hmm. screenplays. So not Bruce got... Campbell. That's a different episode. <laughs> oh, that's completely different. Completely different. I'd say he was a Jedi too. <laughs> um, but if, if, if you look at it through that similar lens, through that hero's journey lens is, you know, there's, you know, there, there's Mando who's just doing this run of the mill stuff. Right. And it's it's more or less kind of a mediocre kind of lifestyle. That's not. There's no fortune and glory. There's no fame. He's just, it's just one of way. many. He's just mm-hmm. one of many. And then he has this moment where he has to make a choice, and it's to go against everything that he knows, or to prevent this child from being experimented on by a group of people that he knows are not mm-hmm. the most couth of peoples. So he makes that choice and in a way comes across a spiritual mentor in a, you know, after a fashion with the child. It's kind of like, a, you know, it's kind of opposite where it's not like the spiritual mentor is someone older, wiser or anything like that. Even though technically speaking, Grogu is technically older, possibly a bit wiser <laughs> based on the difference in lifespan. Yeah. But Again, so now you've got the spiritual advisor, you know, the exposure to the supernatural that sets him on this different path that's starting to set him a cut above that mediocre path he was initially on. So his trajectory as 
as a person, as a character, has completely changed and is now going up to something of more mythic uh, proportions than he was engaged in before by just collecting people, earning a paycheck, and tithing to his uh, his cult, as as we found out recently. Hmm. Like, I'm going to be really on the watch out for whenever they finally get to um, Tython. I'm going to be really on the watch out for, like, what if he, you know, what if there's a moment where he sort of discovers his own connection to the Force, you know, and his own Force ability. So, I, you know, I didn't think that when I was originally watching the episode, but I find it to be a really compelling theory. What what are your thoughts, Jess, about this? Okay. um, I suppose... The first thing I can say is I can disagree. I don't know if I want to see the Mandalorian become any more familiar with the force. I don't think it's it's like the we love the Mandalorian because we love Boba Fett and we love Boba Fett because he's well, maybe it started that way. But well, that's how it started. I mean, but I mean. It's like no one fell in love with the Jedi because of the Jawas. You know what I'm saying? So what if the what if a Jawa learned the Force? No one would care. Actually, that might be kind of a cool no, show. No, no, no. <laughs> but I mean, I think I think the Mandalorians have such a a lore of their own. You know, steeped in generations, they do. But the they're... the dark saber was forged by a Mandalorian who was the first Mandalorian to ever become a Jedi. So I mean, that is also part of okay. their legacy. You know, I got gotcha, you, I got gotcha. you. But I don't want to see. I mean, gonna I'm gonna say it would be awesome to see Mando run around with a lightsaber. Yes, but I also at the same time don't want to see it. I want him to be the the Wild West gunslinger and being a Jedi would, I think, would totally change who he is and his approach. You know, I I saw the child use his powers. Uh, He doesn't seem to be very open mentally and emotionally to the force, Mm -hmm. you know, and the way he's he's portrayed. And I don't think he'd be a great uh, student to learn any of it. But at the See, same, I'd... but at the same time, I guess this is kind of off on a different tangent. But he is charged with taking care of uh, Grogu, Baby Yoda, until Baby Yoda's of age, which is going to be like his entire yeah. life. And then, yeah, when is come, that? You know? When do when do, <laughs> when does that race come of age? Are we going to have to deal with Baby Yoda having to be, you know, pushing? mando around in a wheelchair it's like how long do we have until baby yoda becomes of age yeah and you know for the record i think that it's probably more likely that he does not become like a force user (laughs) yeah i don't but i don't want to see that from my i'm not sure how i feel about it because it still has to fit into the structure of the show somehow so well i think about jedi jedi don't need armor I mean, they were well. They don't hoodies. wear it. They yeah. wear hoodies, and you know their armor is the force. And it, it, the I'm force not gonna. Yeah, I'm not gonna see Mando giving up his armor. Not well. I don't guard. see that either. But you know, again, you had uh, the, the, in you know in ancient times, you know the guy who ended up becoming the ruler of Mandalore, the Mandalore himself, 
was a Mandalorian who was trained by the Jedi and who forged the Darksaber and then came back. He left the Jedi order to come back and rule Mandalore and, you know, wore the Mandalorian armor. So I'm not, you know, so there is precedent for it, but I'm not quite sure how Mando with force ability fits into the format of the, the very Western, you know, type yeah, of inspired like show that they've created. So I, I don't know, but I'm open to it at least. But, unlike you. Well, I'm, oh, I'm open to all sorts of things, but I just, I just don't see that as where the writers are going to take the show. However, while you were saying all that, I only listened to half of it because something that Mike mentioned during our watch through um, he brought up uh, Pedro Pascal, who plays Din Djarin, the Mandalorian. And most of the nerds who know who Pedro Pascal is know him because he played. That's correct. The Red Viper <laughs> in Game of Thrones. <laughs> and what was what was the Red Viper's uh, main weapon of choice? A spear. A spear. That he's now in and here of. we have in the Mando in episode, he has now a Beskar steel spear. So I'm wondering if we're not going to see uh, Din Djarin flipping and flopping around, wielding a spear like a murderer. Well, now he's got the, the armor and the weapon to go toe to toe with like a like a Sith or... You know, oh yeah, a rogue Jedi or whatever might happen. So that's uh, that's pretty cool. We're definitely going to see feet above head. Yeah, <laughs> like flip, flip, well, flip. Another interesting thing too is that not every Force user becomes a Jedi or a Sith either. Exactly. You know, mm -hmm. so uh, this is uh, this is going to be a really weird tangent, but just bear with me for a minute. Is, I'm in. It reminds me of a meme that I saw not too long ago about and it would I. I'm, or it wasn't a meme. It was uh, like a Tumblr screen cap. And it was like, for people that say that magic doesn't exist in the world, how do you know that it just hasn't watered itself down to the point? You know, someone who's a really good mm -hmm. herbalist, how are they not, you know, down, you know, descended from a line of like druids, things of that nature. The force is exceptionally rare. And the, the, the time frame that we're talking about with this series. So, there's, and but think about some of the crazy shit that this dude has survived in the past 13, 14 episodes where in, you know, what is Obi-Wan saying in A New Hope? In my experience, there's no such thing as luck. Mm -hmm. So having just a touch of force sensitivity can give Dejarin that that hyper awareness to get that pistol drawn faster than the next guy. Look at how fast he drew that pistol and look at how he managed to draw and like get that uh, droid, droid behind in the head. him. Mm -hmm. You know, and just think about what it, you know, the the kind of a bit skill and ability it would take to go inside a crate, get swallowed by a crate dragon, plant an explosive, <laughs> exit the beast out the front door, not the back door and detonate the thing and blow it to pieces. Yeah, you know, that was pretty badass. He's done exactly. He's done some a lot of above and beyond things, even for like a standard hero set with no special abilities. You know. So speaking yeah. of heroes with all their special abilities, um, here's another thing that popped into my mind, and I'm not saying this because I don't love Star Wars. I'm just being the devil's advocate here. How come in all this time? We have not seen a Jedi 
use the force to wield his lightsabers? How come he hasn't been sitting there? You mean floating? to like telekinetically like wave it around or something? Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure 90- that was the last Jedi. We saw that happen. I don't pay attention to that trash movie. Okay. Hey, hey, hey. hey. <laughs> For starters. <laughs> I happen to like that film. Did it happen in that movie? No, seriously. Well, that's how he cut Snoke in half, right? Snoke. Don't even get me started on Snoke. <laughs> God, he could have. He was the best enemy that never was, you know. Yeah, that's a whole different conversation. That's a whole different yeah. conversation. But <laughs> Let's I not mean, go down that rabbit hole. By this point, shouldn't we be able to have a jet? Shouldn't we be able to have a Luke sitting there in a little Buddha pose with uh, General Grievous style lightsabers just flailing around his body, creating a shield? For well, everything. maybe, you know, maybe it's that they could do that, but it's more effective to actually be in the fight physically and like moving. Well, they could and... do that, but instead they're going to give a damn Mandalorian Jedi powers. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> you are so salty about this. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm like I said, I'm being devil's advocate. Yeah. 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 Got you it. Know. Got it. From, from <laughs> what salty. I recall from everything that I've like watched, seen, read you know, and, and things of that nature, the whole concept of combat with the lightsaber is because the lightsaber becomes an extension of their body. Well, yeah, I, I think that's more of the samurai storyline inspired because, yeah. because it's, it's about honor and it's about, you know, wielding the weapon perfectly. And I totally, you know, uh, uh, subscribe to that particular angle of it because I do love a good samurai story. And I do love a good Western. And this show is just a fantastic mix of both. Speaking yeah. of which, and Star the, Wars. the showdown scene towards the end where on <laughs> hand you have Ahsoka fighting the magistrate. Oh, yeah. With the, you know, the spear and the swords. And on the other hand, just outside the doors or whatever, you have Mando facing off with uh, Michael Bain. Yeah. And we <laughs> talked about it during our, our watch through. It's like, this is the samurai. This is the cowboy. Any questions? Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. was definitely like this side of the door is the samurai movie and this side of the door is the you know the high noon western showdown yeah and that was i just love that about no it was a really cool way how they split the two different fights and when you brought it up i was like oh yeah that's samurai that's cowboy yeah and it was a really well done scene it's just a great episode I wasn't yeah. present for the recording of last episode, which I didn't care too much for, but this one I thought was epic. And I think that's what I think with that model, I think is what is really going to keep the franchise going overall. And and that's how I kind of described it to, to anyone who, for, for one, you know, I did, I almost disavow anyone who has a problem with Rogue One as a film. Um, <laughs> oh, that's one of my favorites. I love that and, one. Yeah, but it, in the same thread is that you know I I use this the the same framing and the same phrasing for people who are like, well, I didn't really like Solo, and and I was like, well, think about it from this perspective. Think of it as a heist movie that takes place in the Star Wars universe. Right. Take Rogue One. Rogue One is essentially it's it's a war and a, it's like a James Bond movie but it's set in the Star Wars universe. Mm-hmm. What we're watching right now with The Mandalorian is a spaghetti western set mm. in the Star Wars yep. universe. So it's taking a western these, slash samurai movie set in Star Wars universe. Yeah. yeah. So if you if they keep keep using this model of okay, 
what's various subgenres that we can adapt to just exist within this universe is where this is really going to, where it can really continue to go places. And we're definitely seeing that with the success of this, of this series, because I know hardcore, like hardcore conservative, non, non fantasy, non sci-fi people love the Mandalorian, you know, but they probably, but they've watched, they've probably watched every John Wayne film that was ever made. (laughs) You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Well, I just mm-hmm. hope the next episode they use uh, the Shakespearean language like they have in <laughs> Romeo plus Juliet and fantastic. Doth thou bite my bite your thumb at me, sir? <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I am wearing a helmet, sir. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. Prepare to die. Reference there. You know, Mike, I think what you said is really um a really good observation because on the one hand, you know, there's been a lot of word uh, coming out, like a lot of it's rumors. Some of it's maybe more legitimate leaks, but like about how Lucasfilm Disney is looking to set up their own sort of interconnected cinematic universe using Disney plus shows in the star Wars galaxy. Mm-hmm. And you've even had Kevin Feige kind of um, advising John Favreau and, and Dave Filoni and probably Kathleen Kennedy about it. And that's really, this is what the, what you described in terms of kind of saying, all right, let's take this like genre or subgenre and apply it to the star Wars setting. That's what the MCU did. And that was part of the MCU's big success. I think, cause like Kevin Feige has said in, in multiple interviews, like, you know, we like to keep things interesting. And so uh, we'll take genres and make that genre of a movie, but it just happens to have a superhero in it. Like Captain yeah. America, the Winter soldier was a political thriller that happened to have a superhero in it. Mm-hmm. You know, the Iron Man movies are, t- are usually like techno thrillers. Um, Thor is like the fantasy movie or like the space fantasy movie, you know, um, Ant-Man is like the heist, you know, comedy, comedy. movie. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, and you can go on and on and on with the, with the MCU movies. And so I think that that's actually a very smart way to go with star Wars. So long as you keep the star Wars DNA in there very strongly, which, you know, they've succeeded uh, with the Mandalorian. So I think we should do a baby Yoda, baby Groot crossover. <laughs> you, wanted, you wanted to do star Wars and Marvel. Oh my God. That's right. <laughs> we're doing a we're doing a Star Wars Marvel crossover uh, pitch episode for uh, for oh, in December. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't like see that happening on the the silver screen anytime soon. If at all. Oh ever, no, I might. I have thought to it would think be interesting because I just thought of it. Because originally we were um, originally we were uh, planning on maybe doing some Wandavision coverage this December when it wasn't clear when it was going to be released. And so I thought, what's what's like a theme that we could have for like the holiday episodes? And I thought, oh, Marvel and Star Wars. So that's kind of how it came about. Yeah. But back to the Mandalorian. Let's talk for a minute about Thrawn and then get to our final thoughts uh, on this episode. So, of course, you know, Ahsoka is apparently looking for Grand Admiral Thrawn. And like, I guess, you know, for those of you who haven't seen Star Wars Rebels, this really... I don't want to give any spoilers, but like this really plays into what went on in the final season uh, of Star Wars Rebels, uh, because Thrawn does appear as a major antagonist in that show. I can't remember how many seasons it had off the top of my head, like four, maybe three, four, something like that. But there's also the question of uh, what's going on with Ezra Bridger, because he 
had some major interactions with Thrawn. And of course, it was we are we are concerned with uh, some Jedi at this point and who might be, you know, hearing uh, the force when he goes to the seeing stone. So there's a lot of questions that that raises, and I would encourage you both to get to the end of both animated shows quickly mm-hmm. as you can. Yeah. Um, no hurry. <laughs> it's, it's comfortable for you to do so. But with that said, like, Thrawn is... No, Mike, you've read the books about Thrawn, right? Oh, have I? Has so can he you, ever? Can Fly- you give us a, a summary of who Thrawn is and how sort of... Uh, uh, how big of a, a villain he is in in Star Wars. So what I all I can really go off of is what I've read, which you know Disney decided to throw to the wayside. And I actually had that discussion with a friend of mine, as or my best friend Boot, as to why that was a wise idea. Mm-hmm. But again, EU versus Legends Legacy or whatever you, whatever the terminology is, that's that's a completely different episode. So Grand Admiral Thrawn's first appearance in any kind of uh, media was the Heir to the Empire novel written by Timothy Zahn in like the early to mid-90s. And these three, the the original Thrawn trilogy, Heir to the Empire, Dark Force Rising, The Last Command, brought two very significant characters that pervaded their presence throughout the expanding universe from beyond these three novels. And it was Mara Jade, who was the Emperor's Hand, and mm-hmm. Grand Admiral Thrawn, who was a Chiss warlord that was recruited by the Empire out of the Unknown Regions for being a brilliant tactician. Mm-hmm. Now, his whole his whole shtick, for lack of a better term, was that he could analyze the artwork of a species and he mm-hmm. could use that to break down how they would operate in a battlefield environment and use that to great success throughout his entire campaigns as as a um as essentially as a naval commander a star uh, a spacecraft so brilliant naval tactician uh working for the empire basically exactly and according to the EU you know during you know he he was cleaning up the unknown regions and or, or the uh, the outer rim, and was sent on a mission by the emperor himself out to the unknown regions, and then the empire completely fell apart. So then he comes back five years after Rendor, and you know wreaks havoc on the New Republic, and you know practically brings it to its knees. And one of the reasons he was able to do that, and I can see this being applied to the current situation in in, Mand- in Mandalorian was through the use of Sparty cloning cylinders uh, because they got away from using the long-term clones from Kamino and started recruiting regular people to be stormtroopers. And then they transitioned to a cloning process, which made them completely subservient to the empire. But also, mm. you know, with that let, with that lack of individuality, they, you know, ended up being like the terrible shots that we see stormtroopers at. <laughs> well, because you think about it, like if you if you look at it from that perspective, because the average cloning process for the um, on the Kaminoans clone army, yeah, yeah, it it took them twenty years, if not more, because they would they made all these clones, but then they raised them as children. What the Sparty yeah. method does is it creates a fully grown human adult clone. Mm. in a much shorter time period. So there's some things that have to be sacrificed. That's why it's always high numbers of stormtroopers you see in you see in situations. Now, as we saw in the end of I think it was the 
either episode three or episode four with Moff Gideon, he's got a bunch of cloning cylinders there yeah. that he used with yeah. the DNA from Grogu. So, so that's so that leads into my next question for you, actually, which is so does it seem to you that Thrawn could be connected with Moff Gideon and maybe whatever this program is is something that Th- Thrawn is actually in charge of? Yes, because when Thrawn came back, and again, you know, I don't know how much, I don't know what hap- what his whole spiel was during Rebels, but I know during the Expanded Universe stuff, he came back from the Unknown Regions, got his hands on Sparty cloning cylinders, and started spitting out, you know, lo- you know ship-of-the-line style stormtroopers in order to boost the Empire's, you know, fighting capability. And... Also, as part of his personality, was not fond of super weapons either. So elements like mm. Death Stars and super lasers, he didn't really give. He, he wasn't really a big fan of that because he could, you know, he all he saw that was a consolidation of everything into one place, which was tactically disadvantage. Uh, was a tactical disadvantage. Well, I guess he was right about that in the end. Exactly. You know. Yeah. So my th- my thought process is is that you know there's seeing there's there's this surge in imperial activity you know and mm-hmm. this moff gideon who is clearly a force user clearly wielding you know a force you think user moff style gideon weapon. is clearly a force user yes really what yep. what cuz i didn't i never even that never even really occurred to me what what makes you say that um Again, this pulls from a lot of expanded universe stuff, and to, oh, okay, and, and and again, I'm guessing at this point is he's a lot hardier than your average individual. You know, the only moths that we've really seen have usually been you know shitty bureaucrats or mm-hmm. Grand Moff Tarkin. You know, this guy's clearly combat oriented. Yeah, you're not a yeah. you're not a combat bureaucrat unless you've got something under your sleeve. And again, you're pulling from expanded universe stuff. There was an army of dark, there were not an army, but there was a uh, a contingent of dark side force users that worked for Darth Vader, known as the Imperial Inquisitors. Oh, um, you thinking maybe he was an Inquisitor? Yeah, and they they hmm. utilized that in Rebels with the primary hmm. antagonist in the first season that I can't remember his name, who was a force user on the dark side, but he wasn't a Sith. He was just a dark Jedi. You know what I mean? And his mm-hmm. primary goal was finding Ezra because Ezra was a force user. Right. Well, that is really interesting, but it does make me think that. So in terms of the major plot arcs in the show, you obviously have, you know, Mando and Grogu, their connection and how that relates to like his quest to take this child to wherever it needs to go to get proper training and stuff, right? Like that. But then you have, the the whole Moff Gideon Darksaber thing, which seems like it could be part of a larger sort of a larger situation with Thrawn in command of Moff Gideon. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Moff Gideon has uh, was in charge of that lab facility with the cloning cylinders and those dark troopers we got a glimpse of at the end of last episode. Yeah. And now now we come to see that Ahsoka is looking for Thrawn. So I could actually see all of that stuff coming together either end of the you know end of this season certainly but even on into the next season yeah i think they might be building up thrawn for like possibly an ultimate reveal towards the end yeah you know but i mean there's uh, only three episodes left so exactly yeah. so okay. there's on the other hand be... 
Go ahead. I was just going to say, on the other hand, they have not spun their wheels at all this season. So, I mean, it's been moving pretty quickly. Uh, yeah. So, you know, well, I really wonder. I'm going to go ahead and agree that they haven't been spinning their wheels, but I think much like your grandfather's watch, uh, there's a lot more wheels spinning than you can see. Can oh, I have oh, a oh, moment? Sure. You did that. Can I have a moment? Okay. I think that's um, technically a mixed metaphor, but I like it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn is, I'm just on Google. I Googled stuff while y'all were saying whatever you just said. His name is Mithranuodo, who was born as Kivuranuru with the name of Vuran. Recognized in his early military career as Mithra Nuru and better known by his core name, Thrawn, mm. was a chief officer of the Chiss Ascendancy and Grand Admiral in the Imperial Navy during the age of the Galactic Empire. Now, he was played by an actor named Lars Mikkelsen. Who is brother to Mads. Mads. Who is brother to Mads Mikkelsen, who played... Hannibal. Galen, <laughs> who played Galen Erso from Rogue One. That's right. A Star That's Wars right. story. So I wonder if maybe we might have a tie-in of a couple characters from Rogue One. I wouldn't be surprised if they brought in Lars to actually play Thrawn in this show. Because, I mean, they did that with Katie Sackhoff. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and Lars voiced him in uh, Star Wars see. Rebels. and. It's, it's funny that like the two though, brothers, two brothers, oh, I think he looks separate. Story. I think you know, even, I can see that. I'm looking at him. I'm looking at his uh, some of his headshots right now, and I could see that he's got that very, he's got that kind very of square jaw. Yeah, you know, um, you know, the receding hairline might not work well in his favor, but wigs are. Yeah, fine. it's it's 2020. It's it's Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. look at Ahsoka Tano. I can see that. She's hot, but she doesn't look like Rosario Dawson. Come on. I mean, Rosario Dawson is is her. So, you maybe you're just not, you know, maybe the uh, uh, the 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 organs around her head, the uh, the leku and the, <laughs> the organs uh, around her head. But no, seriously, uh, the fact that they're bringing in, you know, uh, Katie Sackoff to play Bo-Katan. And stuff like that. Maybe they are going to bring in Lars Mikkelsen to play uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn. I, I did really like his his vocal performance for Thrawn. Yeah, and especially uh, since there is a tie-in because his actual real-life brother was a Star Wars character also. <laughs> well, he's got that connection. Um, yeah. But so, okay, so, so that's Thrawn. And thank you for that wonderful background of his. Um, that was, that was a lot of great information, Mike. Bro, I've read, I've read that trilogy probably a half dozen times. It's probably the most read, <laughs> it was the most read set of books on my bookshelf because I've had it since I was a teenager in the nineties. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know what? So many of my friends have told me about how wonderful it was, but I've read hardly any of the, 
the Star Wars books. Yeah. Um, I read I read one about Han Solo that honestly wasn't that great. I mean, it was kind of fun, but it you know wasn't any like great literary masterpiece or anything. But uh, I have heard that the Thrawn books are like really, really good. And obviously, you know, he was a great enough character that they brought him into Rebels and are now bringing him into this show. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's that's really cool that they're bringing him for, you know, further into canon. But like all that information sounds like exactly the type of stuff that they would draw from you know, for inspiration for his new entrance into canon in this show. Yeah. And I just have the strongest feeling now that he it has something to do with Moff Gideon in this whole, you know, project that's going on. And, uh, you know, Moff Gideon is tracking the Razor Crest now. Let's not forget this. So he would know that he went to Corvus. And if Moff Gideon is connected to Thrawn, you know, he he would know, oh, that's the outpost where the magistrate is, you know. Yeah, and I think that brings us to the next uh, and final section of this podcast where we discuss theories. What is going to happen in the next three episodes? I well, mean, I have not yeah, looked at the episode no titles, <laughs> but I mean, I think Mando is definitely a, a great question. Thank you for that transition, Jess. Um, but I think Mando has is now going to go full forward on his quest to tython but he's gonna have to learn about tython first because is he gonna get there or is he gonna be waylaid by moff gideon because he's got the tracking device on the razor crest and he's gonna get t-bone well he he is but i mean i think that uh, that his plan is to find tython but i think he he might not know anything about it at this point because it's in the deep core it might just be if he knows anything about it at all, it might just be like a legend. Right. So I anticipate in the next episode, he's going to try and learn something about it. No, he doesn't know shit about Yoda. <laughs> well, he knows a little bit now, uh, now Whoa. that Ahsoka told him about Yoda. But I mean, all I'm saying is in terms of predictions, he's going to be trying to get to Tython. But I mean, he's going to have to deal with Moff Gideon first. I think that's like like big picture. What's going to happen? So big picture, Um, Moff Gideon is the main antagonist. And is he going to die at the end of the season? End of season two, Moff Gideon dead? I don't know, but I feel like there has to be an episode where Bo-Katan shows up again and she's like, okay, we'll help you find Tython or whatever it is, but you got to help us get the Darksaber back from Moff Gideon. And that'll just happen to coincide with the fact that like, Moff Gideon found him again and is tracking him. Yeah, and that's another thing, too. It's like we have the Moff Gideon thing with the Darksaber and all these different angles. It's like, will Moff Gideon die and who will his killer be? Mm. You know? Well, if it's anybody, it's Bo-Katan or Mando, I think. Yeah. Um, That or he manages to escape. See, my so my theory is, is that I'm not sure now, now that we've been talking about it for a bit. I'm thinking along with what you said, Will, where there's going to be, you know, there's going to be a nexus where Boca, Din, and Gideon intersect. Boca Raton. Yeah. Yeah. Boca Raton. (laughs) (laughs) I think think you're right. And now that he has that spear, he has the means to actually fight somebody with the Darksaber. Exactly. And then at the... I think that Gideon might end up being saved by the appearance of Grand Admiral Thrawn at the end. And that's going to be what cuts us until next season. 
Hmm. So if I had to guess for the next three episodes, and after I say this, I'm going to want to get your guys' reactions and your own reactions. I don't even but... know. <laughs> but what I see maybe <laughs> sorry, for next I episode started the conversation. is he starts his search for Tython, but gets interrupted when Moff Gideon shows up having tracked him, and it'll be like an ambush or something, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe he ba- barely gets out of there alive. Maybe Moff Gideon actually ends up getting the child and so now it becomes got to team up with uh, got to team up with Bo-Katan, got to team up with Ahsoka, got to team up with Cara Dune and whoever the heck else he wants to team up with. Because, you know, uh, since this show is so heavily based on like Westerns and samurai movies, it's got to be like there's going to be the seven samurai slash, you know, the uh, what's the Western the version posse. of that? Uh, Putting sure. a posse together. The uh, the Magnificent <laughs> Seven, which is based on uh, Seven Samurai. You basically are going to have an episode or two that's like that. Now, that was done sort of kind of in the first end of the first season. But I feel like it's going to be even bigger this time. And c- so could you imagine Mando, Bo-Katan and her Mandalorians, Cara Dune and Ahsoka Tano is all gonna teaming up? Well, of <clears> course. <throat> And maybe use some of Mando's guns. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> she does have those guns. Um, but no, I mean, like, I think this is a way that it could go. Double bang. Right. And also, if Moff Gideon does end up, you know, taking the child, I mean, talk about the stakes here. You know, I mean, yeah. it's not at this point, it's not only the very personal stakes of, you know, Mando and his his vow to protect and, you know, deliver the child and their relationship. But now it's also, whoa, if Thrawn is involved, and this is bigger than just like some local warlord with the Darksaber, right? Who's, you know, hanging on to some old, you know, base doing some old experiments. Like this has got the last two episodes, this has gotten way bigger in scope, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when you think about the four sensitive clone troopers. <laughs> right. So then, then there's that too. And so Look, I, I think there has to be a confrontation with Moff Gideon by the end of this. Again, if Thrawn shows up, I think it'll just be like for a second. I would not be surprised because if he is tracking them, they're going to lay an ambush. He's going to make his play to take Baby Yoda. And I think there's a good chance that he does take him. And that forces Mando to, you know, do a team up and, you know, come after him. And then that turns into like a huge, you know, action sequence. The thing is, though. I felt very strongly after the beginning of this season that Boba Fett was also going to show up. Oh yeah, we got it. That's still a yeah. Threat. Because we forgot they about don't, him. you don't drop his face into the end of that episode without coming back. No, to him at but some I point. think I'm going to in, interject this real quick. I think he is more of the overarching storyline. They're, yeah, they're, they're, they're not. They're not. They're not. They're not delving into that this season they don't have enough time to bring in boba fett he's gonna be the main antagonist through the show and it's gonna get ugly i think but they don't have time to do it in this episode or this season what was the what what, which episode was it last season where we just like saw his feet at the end of the episode the one with uh, ming na playing the assassin that was the last episode wasn't it or the second to last penultimate no, because he no, killed her. Maybe, in maybe the episode five last. It was maybe episode five or six, something like that. Wasn't that was the one he killed her? Well, I'm I'm just saying that wasn't the last two episodes of the season last season. I can't remember. It was a long time. Um, 
so anyway, I guess it it would. Twenty nineteen was like four years ago. I yeah, guess it right? would make sense if they saved Boba Fett for like another appearance next season because like with three episodes left and all this stuff going on, like how do you? That might be too much. On the other hand, it it might be he might become part of the team. You know, he might come try and take his armor from Mando, or maybe, you know, they get Mando's ship or something. Well, I think honestly, therefore get the armor too. Yeah, I think Boba Fett is also ruled by the honor system. So I think they're both going to be at opposing, you know, sides of the honor system. But then they'll realize they're both working towards the same goal and they will become uh, they're going to be back to back, you know, spinning in a circle. I think there's a lot of ways it could go, but I could see it in a situation where it's like they have to fight together. And so he, he lets them use the armor or it could be a thing yeah, where they're going to have to. And, he, and he'll probably also Boba Fett will probably also get a shiny new set of armor. And it, no, it'll, pri- it'll probably armor. be created by the armorer because she survived. Maybe they'll fix it up a little bit because nah, she survived. Weird. She survived. She's oh, yeah, she survived. Pew, pew, pew. But so, OK, so those are my predictions. So let's let's do Jess, your predictions next, and then we'll end with Mike's and have okay. some final thoughts. Um. Whew, I almost want to let Mike go first because I think my, I think my predictions, to... I think my predictions might be counterbalanced to both of yours. So Mike, you go ahead. All right. Um. Well, bringing all of this together, I don't see. And he's going to ruin all my predictions right now. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't see Boba Fett being like there was this. There was like this mystery set up about him but then as we learn more and more and more you know he's not an actual mandalorian he's a clone of a mandalorian and even then that style of mandalorian was not the same style as but at the Vic same John. time ahsoka tano is not a real jedi oh <laughs> um so i don't know if there's going to be much of a team up on that because you know Whereas Din Djarin has his, you know, has his very set code of conduct and his very rigid rule set, Boba Fett has nothing. There is nothing that he will or will not do in order to achieve his goal. You know what I mean? Yeah. So he doesn't have He's a code of honor. Everything. Yeah, he doesn't have a. Co- he never had a code of honor in regards to how he operated beforehand. Yeah. You know what I mean? So a man with nothing left has nothing to lose. Exactly. Um, so I'm not sure if maybe, you know, we've gotten all this, all this baby Yoda buildup, all this Grogu buildup in the past couple of episodes. And now we're going to shift gears. I do think Gideon's going to take, you know, is, is going to have an element in there, but I do think that there is going to be at least a passing confrontation with Boba Fett at some point. Uh, it's just a matter of when. Yeah, I think there's probably maybe towards the end, like the I think the last episode might do a lot of, uh, you know, I stitching. Would, I would I would guess that it would be in one of the next two out of three episodes that we do Boba Fett. Yeah. Um, and then maybe and then maybe he's also in the final episode if he decides to work with Mando for some reason that I cannot foresee. But, yeah, I think you're. I think that's possible. I see him making at least another brief appearance to just to remind you that he's still tracking him, you know? Right, right. Because Boba Fett is not overt. He's never like the way that he's been presented 
prior to now has always been kind of a lurk in the shadows, covert kind of operative, as opposed to always showing up with guns blazing. He's very careful. Yes. He's a very careful guy. And that's part of why he was such an effective bounty hunter, right? Yeah. So, so I guess you'll see another appearance of Boba in there just as a like, hey, this guy's still tracking him. Not sure Jaren will pick up on it. I do see a confrontation with, and I kind of like where you were going with it, Will, where Gideon comes in with his four sensitive clone troopers and manages to really put the the, the razor crest and and din on the down and out, you know, while taking off with Grogu. Yeah, I mean they, you know, baby Grogu <laughs> yeah. has been very very well protected by Mando thus far, and so I almost feel like it's time for him to face some escalated peril. Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, every episode there's some level of danger, but I think that. It, it just feels right for their arc at this point and for what's going on in the show with everything they've set up. So, you know, I'm, I'm interested to see how it would play out. But um, interesting predictions, though. I, I I would love to see Boba Fett again this season, but just going to have to see. So, Jess, what are your predictions? To Okie dokie. All right, here we go. Um, <laughs> so I think there's only three episodes left in this season. And I think... If Moff Gideon is going to come in, it's going to have to be next episode. It's going to have to be because he's got that tracking device on the Razor Crest and he's tracking Mando and the baby. And I don't know if he wants the baby more than he wants to kill Mando at this point, but I think they're pretty even. So I think we're going to see Moff Gideon next episode because there's there's too much of Mando like, oh, I have to go from quest step four to quest step five without problems. Sure. <laughs> quest step five to quest step six without problems. Sure. No. Moff Gideon's going to come in and T-bone his ass and he's going to yeah. throw a <laughs> wrench into the gears pretty soon. I think you're and- right. I think he'll be like searching for how to get to Tython or something. And you're right. He's going to T-bone him. He's going to ambush him. Yeah, and as far as uh, Boba Fett goes, like I said, I don't think there's enough no. time. What if Boba Fett takes the opportunity and the confusion of the ambush? What what, make his- what resources does Boba have? He doesn't even has have his own armor from back he might in have the a day. Ship. What? Yeah, he probably might have his own ship, but I mean, it wouldn't the- it be awesome if it was the same ship from the OG trilogy to Slave One. I don't know about that either, but I don't think I think Boba is going to be the the big guy from season three. I don't know if there's enough time to really do anything with with yeah, him in the season because I haven't been building him up. And then I'd like to touch on the fact that uh, Grogu and Groot, now that Marvel or Disney has both Marvel and Star Wars, now we have Grogu and Groot. Can they not get a little more uh, original with their baby names? <laughs> <laughs> Both of them, the first three letters are G-R-O. Okay. I'm getting a feeling as to how your uh, Marvel Star Wars crossover pitch is going to begin. <laughs> no, no. But I think the... <laughs> I don't want to talk about it yet. But I think <laughs> I think they really teased the end of the season in this episode 
with the scene where uh, Dinjarin got uh, Grogu to react to him with that that ball from the Razor Crest. I think I think the end of the season is gonna really touch on that connection between Dinjarin and Grogu, and they are gonna. Like Grogu's yeah. gonna step up and he's gonna do something epic at the end, <sighs> and I don't know. Oh my god! Could you imagine like uh, like Moff Gideon's about to like kill Din Djarin and Baby Yoda goes full dark side? Oh know? yeah, well that's Breaks the out thing. I don't think from his I little tiny fingers. There's only yeah. th- there's only three episodes left, and I already scratched off Boba Fett, and I think uh, Moff. Gideon is going to be taken care of next episode or the episode after. So the only real enemy left that I see is Granite Admiral Thrawn, but I think he's going to be like an unveiling at the end. So I think I agree with that. I I think, I think it's going to be Moff Gideon in the next two episodes. And then I think that connection between Din Djarin and Grogu is going to mature and that's going to be the finale. And that's going to be where we see the blue face with the red eyes that open and then cut to black. I yeah. think that's really good, although I will add one thing, which is I think if you could do a super simple breakdown of the next three episodes, it could very well be. And this is very much what you said, but with a slight tweak. Uh, next episode, he goes searching for Tython or information about it. Ambushed by Moff Gideon. Moff Gideon gets the kid. Episode after that gathering the team right uh he goes to bo katan he goes to ahsoka he goes to uh you know cara dune well, whatever that, that's the thing and with then, cara dune and grief cargo he went there already and then just flew away and they're like okay bye yeah but he'll get he'll recruit cara dune if he can if he oh i mean and I then do. the third episode is the whole team going to confront moff gideon get the child back and then like maybe at the end you get a little tiny bit of uh thrawn does that does that sound reasonable to everybody? Yeah, I could get behind that. Jeff? That's good story writing. <laughs> I mean, it sounds reasonable, but there's no Ewoks in it. <laughs> yes, I love you, you placed a bet on some Ewoks, so I, I don't did, know I how did. I feel about your predictions. But, <laughs> but both you guys do have a lot of the Filoni influence from Rebels and Clone Wars and stuff, and I don't have any of that, so I there's a lot of characters still that I'm unaware of like Ezra Bridger. I didn't even hear or become familiar with that name till today. So I don't know what other characters could be hidden, but there's only three episodes left and that's only 90 minutes at the way these episodes are going 90 minutes minimum, maybe uh, 120 minutes max. Yeah. So there's a lot to cover and there's a couple big bad guys out and I'm just trying to follow the storylines that they're unveiling. And I think this episode, uh, that scene with uh, Din Djarin and Grogu, that was a huge step in the growth of those two characters together. And I think that's going to play a big part in, you know, their growth. Meaning the end of the episode. And Ahsoka, who was eventually able to read, you know, uh, Grogu's mind with the Force, you know, basically said, you're like a father to him. You know, he's he's got a very strong attachment to you. And obviously, you know, we can we can see that. And that was reinforced in that scene that, you know, you keep uh, uh, folks get back in your seat. 
<laughs> that and you know the scene where he gets him to use the force so yeah, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm really looking forward to how this plays out and i think that i yeah, think, we've I, I think that's going to be the main the major un- unveiling at the end of the episode is the obvious villain for the next season which has to be uh grand admiral thrawn the way they're mm-hmm. going it'll yeah. probably introduce ezra bridger as the next Cara Dune, you know, and <laughs> we're going to keep seeing the relationship between uh, Din Djarin and Grogu evolve because that was a huge step in this episode. So I think that's got to have something to do with the finale of season two. Yeah. And this is all why I don't think they're going to get to uh, Tython until next season, you know. There's just so much that has to happen, not to mention the fact that, like, just getting there once he even knows where it is, which is, I think, going to be a whole, uh, you know. Well, there, there's a, there's two ways they can do it. There's three episodes left. It could be Grand Moff Tark or Grand Moff comes in. What's his name? Grand Admiral. Moff Gideon comes oh, in. Moff Gideon, yeah. Moff Gideon comes in. He's the bad guy next episode. They beat him, blah, blah, blah. And then they escape whatever's going on there. And then the very last episode is where they get to um, that planet you just mentioned. And yeah, Tython to the Jedi Academy. And they're like, ah, we're safe. And then you, you have to have an episode about getting baby Gorgu up to the top of the mountain, whatever (laughs) the stupid name is. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then that's when we unveil the grand admiral. Yeah, see, I just don't think there's enough time for them to get to Tython in this season. I really, I didn't think there was enough time for a lot of shit, but they're kind of skipping (laughs) things. And I didn't think we needed a Frog Lady episode. I thought uh, Grief Karga and Cara Dune needed to be in at least two or three episodes. I know. So I would be so happy if season three expands to like 10 episodes or something like that, you know? Um, Yeah, or 45 minutes minimum. (laughs) Right, right. So, guys, this has been a really fun conversation about Chapter 13. (laughs) We're one hour and 54 54 minutes in. Holy (laughs) shit. (laughs) Yeah, I think this is our longest one yet, actually, because there was so much to talk about. Oh, it is huge. You know, so I will just once again express my love for Rosario Dawson slash uh, oh, I want to <laughs> I want to thank you, Mike, for uh, coming to the show again. Uh, this was a really fun conversation about it. Yeah, really tell cool. us. Tell us where you're from, Mike. Tell us where. Yeah. Give us all the info. Where can people find out what you're doing online? So um, I am the pretty much the writer, creator, producer of the Mecha Dragon Horror. <laughs> of the uh, Boston Harbor Horror um, audio drama podcast. Uh, Season two just wrapped up on November 15th. So we have two full seasons out for your ears, Uh, working on some bonus stuff in the meantime. Honestly, that is a show specifically made for your ears. You have such great sound. Yes. Thanks, man. I really appreciate that. That means that that means a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Um, You sound great. Very compelling. Yeah. Uh, so uh, me and a co-writer, uh, Carly, are working on writing up the scripts for season three, which we're hoping to have out for May 1st of next year, but it might be delayed a little bit because, well, this whole COVID nightmare has really put a damper on a lot of shit. Haven't heard um, of it. Care- yeah. 
<laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, that's the latest and greatest uh, from my end. Um, Where can they yeah. find you in Boston Harbor Horror Online? Uh, pretty much. You punch that bad Larry into Google and it's going to give you it's going to give you our website, which needs some work. It's a little behind. It doesn't have any season two info on it. Uh, my webmaster has been dealing with a lot of issues themselves uh, this year. So they have, there's not, hasn't been a lot of website updates, uh, but definitely come and follow us on Twitter. Pretty active there. It's at Boston HBR Horror. Uh, we do have a Facebook page, uh, Boston Harbor Horror and Asylum 94 Productions. Uh, it's the name of our uh, de facto production company. And then on Instagram at Boston Horror. Uh, so we get a lot of your updates. And yeah, whatever podcatcher you use, just type in Boston Harbor Horror. It'll be the one with the uh, with the Coast Guard stripe or the Coast Guard shield, because the U.S. Coast Guard plays a heavy presence throughout the series. They do, and you can really tell by listening to it that you know your stuff uh, with regard to the Coast Guard. Right. So I find that to be you know really a fascinating uh, element of the story. I guess I should say. Sweet. Uh, thanks. So yeah. So thanks again, Mike, and thank you, listeners, for listening to this episode of Mecha Dragon. Please hit us up on Apple Podcasts or your choice of podcasting platform and give us a five-star review and or rating. That really, really does help the show out. And Jess, would you like to give our listeners our social media information? You know I do. If you're on Facebook, you can find us as Mecha Dragon. Twitter and Instagram, you can locate us as Mecha Dragon Show. If you have any comments, questions, thoughts, or ideas for upcoming episodes, let us know at mechadragonshow at gmail.com because I'd like to know if you think I'm correct in my predictions for the end of season two of The Mandalorian because <laughs> I already know I am. But uh, aside from that, uh, tell all your friends, family, and loved ones that they can find our podcast on Anchor, Apple iTunes, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, CastBox, Stitcher, everywhere that they share quality podcasts. That's where you're going to find us. Give us a five-star rating, review us, high five, tell all your friends. And we love you guys, and we'll see you in the next episode of Mecha Dragon. And may the Force be with you. And, and also- with you as well. <laughs> this is the way. Our music is Overworld by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0, creativecommons.org slash licenses slash buy slash 3.0.